I spent about seven years on the East Coast, and at a certain point, I just, like, I'm pretty close with my parents, and I just felt like it had been a while of being, you know, pretty far from them, and they are sort of on the older side for folks my age, like my dad is like 72, um, and I just kind of felt like I wanted to be able to hang out with them before um, you know, any like memory stuff. Luckily, none of that has happened yet, but, um, and they're also both really active and, but my mom can't really go on a lot of hikes anymore or anything. So I just wanted to be able to spend time with them. And also my partner is a, is a teacher and there's a teacher shortage here. She's like a public school teacher. So we were like, well, maybe if we move to California, you can find a job more easily than Vermont, which is where we were living. Were you at White River Junction? Yeah. Yeah. So I lived in Montreal for three years and then I moved down to uh, White River Junction for the fellowship there. It's about like, I don't know, three hours south of, of Montreal. And then I ended up staying there and becoming a student um, after my fellowship year and then teaching uh, for a couple of years. Is that common? That's like, that's a very unique path to, to be a fellow and then go into and then be educated there. It was a bit, it was a bit weird. And like I've said in the past, like a bit humbling as well, like, because I was, I was sort of assistant teaching a little bit as a fellow. And then I joined the class that I had been teaching. So, um, but for like a thesis year. So I was like working on projects now, like alongside um, students who I had been like uh, facilitating, like, um, critiques with and stuff. How did that happen? Well, I basically, you know, I was there for, for the fellowship year and I was like sitting in on all of the classes and I kind of thought I wanted to teach. So I thought, well, if I can get an MFA, that would better my chances of teaching probably. Um, and I, I ended up having the option of going to school back in Montreal, but I like went through a breakup and I didn't want to go to the, to the MFA program I got into there. And CCS, um, they figured out a way that they could credit my fellowship year. And so I only had to do a year as a student and do the thesis year and not sort of the, the boot camp year uh, that comes before that. So I was like, well, this is a bizarre kind of situation, but like um, I really wanted to work with Jason Lutz um, and I had my, the project I wanted to work on was the project that eventually became the contradictions. Um, cause I had just kind of been beating my head against the wall, like not figuring out how to actually get it done or when to decide that I was ready to move on to the next step. And I just felt like I really needed some help. So that was, that was how that came about. You were humble enough to realize that you still had some stuff that you needed to learn in order to finish this large project you were working on. Yeah, because like my earlier book, the book that sort of got me the fellowship in a sense was War of Streets and Houses, which was like a series of vignettes. And it was completely, um, you know, memoir. Uh, so it was like memoir and then some research. It was all nonfiction and it was all like the structure kind of came out of me drawing a ton of pages and then slicing it down to, you know, in the end it was around just under 60 pages, I think. So it was like a, sh a pretty short thing. 
And also because it was this series of vignettes, it was like the structure was all just based on feeling, you know, there was some chronology and then something sort of like put in between different scenes to kind of move things forward. But I was, it was, uh, I don't know, I felt like I could do it instinctively and doing a book that was like, you know, 200 pages long um, and was much more sort of, I wanted it to have more of a, an arc, like a narr narrative arc. Um, it was just a really, really different process. And also I, you know, it's really hard for me to just sort of sit down and like crank through a really long project. Like, like that previous book I had done in sort of like fits and starts. Um, and if you look at the drawings in that book and the drawings in this book, they're really different. And so part of it was figuring out, like I knew that I wanted with this book, I wanted to make something that had much more of a really like grounded sense of place where I was actually drawing the spaces in a way that people could really recognize and wasn't, was less impressionistic. Um, so I really had to sort of learn that. The nature of the story to some degree is kind of vignettes in that it's, you know, it's, it's a road trip story and it's a story that takes place over a number of different settings. It's, you know, from that standpoint, are you able to kind of tackle it in a similar way? Yeah. I mean, I guess, you know, like, because it's sort of, auto fiction, a lot of it came from me wanting to, like, I had a, a strong sense of different moments that I wanted to fit into it. And so in that way, it was sort of a similar project. Uh, yeah, sort of a similar process. You had beats. Yeah, exactly. I was kind of like, okay, this kind of a thing happened to me at one point, I want to fit that in there. And I feel like I wanted to, like, build it in a similar way to, to the vignettes. And I, so there, so there was that, but at the same time, like just a project that long, uh, just felt really, really different. How long was it clear that this was something that at some point that you were eventually going to build a book around? Well, I think after I, so I did like hitchhike around Europe, um, with a few different people when I was in my junior year of college and, and, and pretty shortly, you know, when I came back, when I was a senior in college, I was like, oh, I want to do a book about, about that um, and about those adventures, you know. But um, I didn't have the skills at all to do it at that time. I was really just getting started making comics. I think the longest thing I had made at that point was like eight pages. And that, that felt like, <laughs> um, like a real feat. Um, so... I knew I wanted to do something with it. Um, but what that actually was over time, like it was always in the back of my mind as a project I wanted to do, but, but the actual result um, really changed uh, from what I think I thought I was going to make. Did you get a sense while you were living through that to some degree that these were, that this was eventually a story that you, you wanted to tell? Yeah, I think, I was like, so at the time I was reading, like in the book, the character is like, I'm reading Dharma you, the Bums. Dharma and, Bums and, <laughs> and, and, Zen and, and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, which is just like the perfect 19 year old. And not only like reading them, but explaining to your mother, who I'm sure like right. lived through this at some point, why these books are so profound. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I really was like reading those books. Um, and I feel like, 
that was pushing me at the time both to seek out sort of like forms of adventure that involve travel and, and hitchhiking and stuff and also to think about them in a way that that was kind of self-important you know so I think that that was sort of some of what the initial impetus to go hitchhiking came from but I think I thought I was going to write about it in a really different way than the way that I ended up writing about it. What was your notion of how the story would be told at the time? I think at the time I I just I well part of it was like I was reading these books from these male perspectives and so my I think the the biggest thing back then was like, well, I'm a girl and I went hitchhiking and I'm going to write about my story. Um, So it was, yeah, that was, it wasn't like extremely deep. It was just sort of like a surface level feminist. You touch on this to some degree and and I think it's kind of, at least at the beginning, filtered through your your parents' concern. But there are obviously different considerations you have when you're a woman hitchhiking versus a man hitchhiking. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's true. And like, yeah, if I didn't, I mean, I, I still think that that is one of the layers of, of why the story was still appealing to me, definitely. Um, the idea early on when you're first kind of exploring doing comics was to do something science fiction. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, it's not a secret. This is something you've, you've no, spoken about in no, interviews. No, yeah. No, totally. Yeah. yeah. It's, but you laugh at the, the suggestion. No, it's, it's just, it's, it feels like such, a, such another world. It's so weird. I mean, when I look at what I was making in college, like before I did the sci-fi thing, I, my first project was this like watercolor, like full, yeah, like full color, like 11 by 17, which is for those that don't know, it's like, that's like sort of a traditional comic book size page um and to just like jump into something like that when you've never made comics before uh now i'm i'm like oh that was a a, not a good idea but i didn't really have any like specific mentorship around comics but the story was like it was like a pseudo fantasy story about like bike messengers and like greek mythology and gay stuff you know it was very it was like a just such a different thing yeah the sci-fi thing I think I was I grew up in the Bay Area and so I was just we just you know got the technology I think before everybody else like we like people around me I think we're just adopting things quickly and it was weird you know and I've always been like a bit ambivalent about smartphones to say the least um so like my earliest comic uh, that I that I put out was was kind of trying to examine that in some way. It was a critique of technology? Yeah. Is that something that you would be interested, not that story specifically, but but that genre? Is that something that you feel like you might come around to at some point? Sci-fi? Yeah. Um, or, yeah or fantasy I mean, or anything kind of really outside or, yeah. of... Yeah. Well, my favorite, like, my favorite book is A Wizard of Earthsea by Ursula Le Guin. And I'm just a huge fan of her. And... Uh, you know, also her sci-fi, like The Dispossessed, is is really great. And I've definitely been toying with like, well, I don't really know what I want to do next, but I'm trying to be open to to doing something science fiction or fantasy, but I'm just not sure like what ideas I would want to tackle in those realms. Yeah, I mean, it must be difficult from the standpoint of, I mean, obviously there's a sense of relief in finishing this thing that you've been thinking about for a long time, but as you were working on other stuff, 
you had you had this on your plate. It was clear that like at some point down the road you had this to work on. And now, do you feel like you're kind of working from a clean slate? Totally. Uh, I think I tweeted like last night or this morning, just like, well, what do you do after you finish the big thing that you thought you probably would never do? You know, because I just yeah, when I did War of Streets and Houses, and when I did what is a glacier? I was just like, well, I'm working on these things. And one day I'll do this other thing. And and I do feel a bit, yeah, without a, a compass, knowing that there's not like, it felt like this project was always kind of breathing down my neck. And now I don't feel any of that pressure. Um, but I feel a different pressure, I guess, which is just just gen- generally to be productive or to make something but I don't, I, I really don't know what that is yet. Do you feel more pressure given the fact that it's quarantine right now? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the fact that the thing that I do, I mean, my life before the shelter in place order was so similar to what my life is now. And I really like I finished this book two weeks before we got the shelter in place order here. And I was really like, cool, like, really soon I'm going to get to go to like queer dance parties again. And I'm going to actually get to like enjoy the Bay Area, which like I had moved from Vermont, you know, it had been like a year and a half of being here, but I had just been working on the book. So, you know, my life was really centered around studio time. And, and so now I'm like, okay, well, I guess I'm back in that place, but I don't feel like I've actually had the space that I would have liked from this project before figuring out the next thing. Do you think that if the book had finished and, you know, the shelter in place wasn't happening, that you would have actually gone out into the world and experienced all these things? I mean, it's impossible to know, so. <laughs> is, it, is it though? I mean, you know, obviously like, you know, you know yourself better and I, I just wonder how much of it, because like I've been saying the same thing to myself during this, which is just like, when this is over, I'm going to go out and enjoy all these things that I wasn't wasn't able to before. How much of that kind of, that that isolation was really a product of working on this book and how much of it is just how you live your life generally? Well, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I guess there's, it's like, okay, I'm 33. So I don't know how I necessarily live my life at 33. But when I moved to Montreal and up until I left, I was like 27 or 28, you know, I would go to shows all the time and blah, 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 do all the thing. It's just, it's just, I was, I was living in Vermont there, you know, like I started just eating dinner at like 6 PM (laughs) and like, going to bed with the sun because, you know, there's only so much to do. So I really, I really was looking forward to at least having the opportunity to find out. (laughs) Was Vermont a good place as far as being productive, as far as actually working on, on your comics? Yeah. Although, well, yes. So it was good. It was a good place to recover from a breakup, which was part of the reason I think I ended up staying there. And why was it a good place to recover from a breakup? Um, Other than like geographically being away from that person. Yeah, no, I think the pace was really slow and, and there was a pretty tight knit community of people. And yeah, I I felt very supported there. So I think for all those reasons, it was, it was good. Um, And, but eventually like being in a place like that where there's a school and there's like a community around the school people graduate you know it's an mfa program so it's mostly adults a lot of folks in their mid to late 20s but also people older than that and you know they just didn't stick around so eventually it just it it did become more lonely than i think um, my my time there in the beginning are you somebody who faced with that kind of thing 
tends to throw yourself into work? I, I'm actually not a great workaholic, I think. I think I wish that I were like better at it. It's really a struggle for me to sit down and work. I'm not one of those people who's like, when I'm anxious, I draw for 12 hours, you know? It's like, when I'm anxious, I like organize my bedroom and I like move furniture around. <laughs> and then like, maybe if I've like gotten some physical exercise at 10 p.m., I'm like, oh, it might be nice to draw. Yeah, so actually getting down to work on this book was a matter of figuring out how to keep my butt in the chair. And the the best way that I figured out was um, to have like virtual work buddies. <clears throat> so you were ahead of the curve on this. Yeah, yeah. I <laughs> I really like two years ago was like obsessed with like, okay, how am I going to like sit down? I'm living in a place now where I don't have shared studio space with anybody. And you know, it's so expensive to, to rent studio space here. And the people who, you know, that I did have access to a studio at one point, but everybody had day jobs because it's the Bay Area. And, you know, you got to get a job doing illustration in-house somewhere, right? So, um, <clears throat> but so I set up these sort of like video work dates with friends, with cartoonist friends, and I would do like, you know, twice a week with a given person and twice a week with another person. And we would be really diligent about it and say, okay, we're going to meet at like 930. And then we're going to do these work blocks where we would say, okay, I'm going to do this. And like, then we would work quietly with the video on and then check in at the end of the like 50 minute session. Like it was extremely regimented. How is that helpful? You know, (laughs) (laughs) if you're engaging with the other person, it's going to completely distract you from your work, but you're like, you're literally sitting there at a drawing table and you just have a video of somebody else sitting there at their own drawing table. Yeah. It's like a mini panopticon. It's like, there's, there's been some research um, about it. There's actually a company called like Focusmate that has a a website where you can find these, like, you, you know, you find random buddies to, to work with. But there's something about um, having to show up for somebody else, right? So like, if you're like, okay, I told this person I was going to be there at 930. There's you, you can't be like, oh, I'll just draw at like one, you know, that'll be fine. So just that part piece alone of like starting the day when you say you're going to because it, it creates like a, a commitment device is what some people call it. And then like, yeah, when we're drawing, we're not we're not interacting or, or whatever kind of work we're doing. Um, and it's been surprisingly useful. But I will say, like, I think it was more useful when I was in the phase of just, I need to sit down and draw. Um, if I need to, like, write or research, like, I don't know how how useful it'll be. I just, I feel like the phases of making a comic can be so different. Where were you with this book when you started that process of doing the virtual meetings? I had already thumbnailed the whole thing. So it was just, it, you know, I had essentially written it and done the preliminary drawings. So I needed to sit down and make the, the penciled pages and ink it. For you, the most difficult part of the process is really going there and going through every page and drawing it. I mean, it sounds, it sounds like the, the thumbnailing, the scripting, everything else came pretty naturally. Yeah, that stuff to me is like, fun and it's really <laughs> I so, mean the, so other the stuff... drawing isn't isn't fun in the same way it's fun in a very different way I, I think <laughs> so it sounds like more more of a job at the very least yeah it's certainly yeah it's certainly more of a job it's uh James Sturm who is a cartoonist friend of mine who um 
started CCS. CCS. Yeah. yeah. He's, he calls it type two fun where, so any, and, and that means that you you're going to, it's going to be fun when you look at it, when it's, when it's done. <laughs> but I, I do, I do enjoy, you know, I, I like putting down uh, an ink line and if I get it really the way that I want it, that's very satisfying and it can be really satisfying to look at a page and, and go like, oh, wow, okay. You know, that's how that looks. Like, uh, I imagined it one way, and this is, this is what it looks like in the world. As far as, as it, looking, it looking not like it looked in your brain? <laughs> yeah, I think once I, like, I drew this book, like I said, in a pretty different way. And when, once I was kind of halfway through, I probably knew what things would look like, or I could imagine them better. But because I was kind of developing the style, like, as I went, I didn't really know what things were were going to necessarily look like as I went along. Do you feel that because you were developing a style as you went along that, that there is a marked difference in the style at the beginning of the book and the end of the book? Well, I think there's a marked difference about 30 pages. There's like a chunk. <laughs> there's a point. So I drew it and then... I got to a point where I was like, oh, this is what I want it to look like. 30 pages in. And, and you were so, just like, there's no way that I'm going back and reading. No. All so that. what I did is I, I ended up like, <laughs> I kept drawing. And then eventually I did go back and I redrew what I had started with. But what it means is that I think the, the sort of beginning actually looks closer to the end than this sort of section in the middle where I had gone, okay, this is what it looks like. But then of course that progressed like to some degree from there. So it's, you know, it's kind of like a, a funny wave of how things look, I think. Do you get the sense that that's just something that you're hyper conscious of in a way that other people reading the book wouldn't necessarily pick up on? Yeah. I mean, I think some other cartoonists might notice, but that's probably about it. Can you verbalize how it evolved? I started using a ruler more. So in this section, there's some places where I think the, um, the limbs are a bit more noodly, you know, they're like a little more, not quite as mm, geometric. A little more like Peter Baggy. Yeah. Yeah. Cartoony. So, yeah. Yeah. There's, there's, and, and I think there's a place where you can see that I sort of start to go like, okay, I'm actually going to use a, a ruler on this kind of line too. And that sort of, and, and at some point I started using more just geometric tools in general and using a French curve for more things and yeah so I kind of built up into using <laughs> as many as many like aids drawing aids as, as I could in the end as far as references or as far as just like the actual physical tool the tools the tools yeah so you know I have like I have little plastic ovals and like french curves and I have a I have a, a, a really small ruler that I use for like really small lines and um I think I just, you know, that was something that it was a combination of um, liking how it looked, but also enjoying drawing that way. Like it, it made the drawing process more fun for me. You feel that the original style didn't necessarily serve the subject matter in the same way? Well, I went through a lot of, like before I even did that first pass, I went through a lot of tests. Like I tried to draw a bunch of the pages in just like pencil having sort of a pencil finish yeah I just tested out like you know just pure black and white pen with a lot of sort of more scribbly lines and eventually I got to the sort of pure black and white high contrast kind of look um 
but as I, as I went, I tried not to be opposed to sort of refining my drawing um, because no matter what that was going to happen, just based on drawing that much. And so I think I just tried to allow myself to incorporate some new tools along the way. And hopefully it doesn't look too, uh, too strange. Early on, you know, when you were an intern at Fantagraphics and you had this, I guess, conversation with, I don't know, it was Jack or Eric, but one of them really kind of, I guess the idea that was passed along to you was that it wasn't the style so much as, you know, the voice that needed yeah. Did you feel like you had a had established a style at that point in your career? Yeah, I mean it's funny. Um the there's there's a few pages that I drew when I was like 23, like right around the time that I interned for them and I and those were some of the pages I showed to Jack and Eric. Um and and some of those pages that I showed them are probably the closest thing uh, artistically to the contradictions style, to the way that it ended up. Um, but I feel like I really had to um, just like cast off trying to work in a really finished style because I needed to just churn out pages in order to, to find my voice. And so that's what I think I did for a long time. And that's what I think I was kind of doing in War of Streets and Houses. I was really more concerned with the storytelling, you know, and not necessarily uh, trying to make um, finished looking artwork. You were in, and, and have been doing comics journalism as well. That's just kind of the nature of that, right? Is, is getting stuff out there as quickly as possible. Yeah. Yeah. And that's also why that book had that kind of, because I was going down to all these protests and then I would come back to my studio and just sort of like write something about it and scribble it quickly. And I think that that book is what ended up getting me um, some of these like journalism gigs because uh, like I went to the 2016 RNC and I went to the um, the inauguration and those were things where I had to like go out into the field and interview people and then come back and I would try to you know I'd go out and I'd be out interviewing people until like three and then I'd go back to where I was staying and draw and turn things in at like 11 p.m. and then go back out the next day and try to do it again and so yeah I was I was working in a in a much quicker uh, style. Was part of working on this book kind of getting yourself out of that headspace I mean could you imagine doing something uh, you know especially in this climate political you know spending that much time focused on a political book? Yeah like this is uh, this book is so different than like the goals of it were, I think, really different than what I was, you know, a lot of the other comics I've, I've, um, I've made. But now, but I do feel now like a little bit addicted to making a pretty picture. So, <laughs> and it's not that I think that my other work necessarily looks bad, but it's a nice feeling when somebody looks at something that I've drawn and they are kind of awed by it. Like it's, um, it's cool. And it's not something that I have experienced a lot up until this point. Yeah. I mean, I, I also just suspect that for your own sanity, that it's impossible to, I mean, obviously like this is coming from a place of privilege to not be able to be focused on this all the time. There's no quicker way to wear yourself down and, you know, lose, 
lose your grip on reality than really diving headfirst into the news cycle. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to be involved in organizing uh, to some degree, but um, but as far as national news uh, right now, I'm I'm pretty I'm engaging with it from a pretty pretty far distance. Are you able to be hopeful about things when you're focused on things more at the grassroots level? I <sighs> I was interviewing some people who do a political podcast and, you know, we had this really long, just super, I mean, and this was a couple of years ago, but even at the time, super depressing conversation. <laughs> and at the end of the conversation, I was just like, all right, well, for my own sanity, just to, you know, tell me one thing that you're hopeful about. At that point, it was, it was a teacher strikes. But they were able yeah. to find some hopefulness, but, you know, or, or, you know, for me that I'm in New York, so the New York primaries, um, you know, I'm, I'm not very happy with what happened on a presidential level, but, but I, I took some solace in kind of some down ticket stuff that, you know, that, that there are some like good, like leftist and progressive candidates being elected here. Yeah. Maybe it is kind of possible to, to be somewhat hopeful about politics if you're a lot more myopic about it. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, I think I would agree with those folks that the teacher strike is really various teacher strikes have been really encouraging. And, and the only piece of comics that I've drawn since this finishing this book is, was one about um, union organizing in the early 20th century and like in the sixties. And, and I've been reading a lot about that. And even about contemporary organizing, um, this woman, Jane McAlevey, um, wrote a book called No Shortcuts, which analyzes a bunch of recent strikes and um, strikes that actually won concessions. And, you know, people have been organizing tenant unions. And a lot of what I'm reading about, uh, about uh, like a lot of the contemporary stuff that I'm reading about is what was kind of done in the thirties. Um, and I think that those, the, that kind of organizing is what led to a lot of the reforms that people attribute to FDR. So um, I, I am, I mean, I'm not excited about Biden, but uh, I think that he is uh, somebody said, put it really well. I think he's a better like enemy to have <laughs> in the white house. I think he's somebody that, that can, if this kind of grassroots organizing is taking place, I think that reforms can be, can be won. Um, and, you know, there's larger existential issues mm -hmm. like climate, <laughs> but uh, yeah. So there, there is some, I, I'm really, I am excited that some of these um, strategies and tactics around collective struggle are, I think getting more play and people are, becoming more more and more familiar with them do you foresee a way to kind of marry your interest in you know labor and organizing with your comics i yeah i mean that's that's a big question for me right now i i i i think there are some really obvious places that i could take that but i'm but i wonder if there's something a little bit more interesting uh beyond just some kind of union explainer thing that i might be able to do. So that's one of the sort of veins that I'm trying to, to tap into and see, you know, see if there's something there that's worthwhile. The obvious just being straightforward instructional 
pamphlets or comics? Yeah, well, not necessarily instructional, but like like the piece that I just did was about just some of the historic union struggles and what happened and the concessions that they won and how it worked. So not not exactly step one, step two, but um, but at you know educational in a sense. But I I don't know. I mean that's people like nonfiction books. Um, and it's, it would probably be really useful. <laughs> it's hard though, right? It's, it's a hard road to walk. I've seen a lot of really bad nonfiction comics. Yeah. Yeah. Without naming any names. It's just that oftentimes they end up being just like, it's like reading a textbook, you know, it's like, right. how can I, how much information can I cram into this? And you know, how expositional can I be? Right. Because I, I, w- I would assume that the tendency in order to make it more entertaining would be to have it be a little bit more, a little bit more narrative. Yeah. I mean, I think like I, I just got um, Paying the Land, the new Joe Sacco book, and I just started reading that and uh, I haven't gotten too far into it, but I think Sacco is someone who is very good at, you know, letting the words of the people that he's talking to give you the narrative. And I think with a lot of nonfiction comics that are more on the explainy side, you know, you'll end up with maybe an expert and who's paired with an illustrator and, you know, with their powers combined, like they're going to bring you a comic, but it's, you know, oftentimes not a comic that is going to hold your attention unless you are really, really interested in that subject. Is it just like I read something that interests you from the standpoint of embedding yourself in a story and using that as a framework? Yeah, I am interested. I mean, I think there are a lot of struggles going on right now that on the one hand, I, I feel this tension where I want to be involved in, in these things. Um, but I also want to make comics and I don't, I don't want to completely throw my my well i i couldn't i mean i (laughs) i have to work um but there there are capitalistic concerns yeah like unfortunately i i have to pay rent and stuff um and so you know maybe one of the ways to do that is is to be able to document you know some of the struggles that are going on right now but i i have i feel conflicted about sort of the journalism perspective personally i've i've after i you know i did pieces i went to standing rock and i interviewed folks there and i've done some other pieces where afterwards i just felt like maybe i would rather take a more ethnographic approach to to working you know doing that kind of nonfiction work where the people that i am involved uh, that i'm talking to have a say in you know how things um, look in the end and, and what, what gets put into the world and that they can shape the narrative, um, more themselves. So I would like to figure out how to, how to do that. Cause as someone also who, you know, writes, um, memoir and like auto fiction, I really feel like, you know, being able to tell your own story is, I mean, I really value that. Were you hesitant to do memoir early on? You know, I mean, I, I, I get the, the impression that I get from a lot of cartoonists or just writers generally is that they don't necessarily feel like they have a story to tell in the beginning. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think I, I resisted memoir 
even though I really enjoyed it. Enjoyed reading it. Yeah, like I love Gabrielle Bell's comics. And you could say that nothing happens in Gabrielle Bell's comics. I mean, nothing extremely out of the ordinary. Or when something out of the ordinary happens, it's very, very out of the ordinary. Right, it's, you right. Know, it's like a Gabrielle she, Garcia she Marquez these, book. Exactly. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but like her and, you know, I also love like John Porcelino and you know, same, same thing. It's not like they're telling these epics, but I really appreciate that sort of just experience of, of the day to day. But I, I was resistant for a a while, I think, because um, Gabrielle Bell has sort of, what has she called it? Like just that women's memoir, there's kind of like a, um, people are like wary of them. (laughs) That's, That's not exactly her words, but why is it? Uh, and I, I think it's just, just because there's like an expectation that like women are writing about their lives and that, and also that if women are writing, they're writing about their lives. Maybe that was part of why I avoided it for a while because I think it was well, making comics. And, and I was also, you know, like when I started making comics, I was reading Jeffrey Brown comics. I was reading a lot of just sort of these day-to-day life, like mundane stories. And I, and I felt that in the alternative comics world, that was what was maybe expected of me. But when I finally did start making them, it was like breathing. I mean, it was so easy and I wasn't worried about what I was putting out in the world at all in a way that I'm much more self-conscious now. I mean, how long did the process of actually making comics, did you start showing them to people and did you start putting them out into the world? That was pretty, let's see. I mean, I made, I made comics as a little kid and I, and I, I would uh, submit them to the county fair so, you know, I, I won a blue ribbon at the county fair for my comics. Yeah, no big deal. You're like, all right, I figured it out. I'm yeah, 10. So, this is it. This is my life. Right. Well, no. And then I was like, got the blue ribbon. I can stop now. You're going to go on top. <laughs> yeah. So, but I did, yeah, I did make comics for, I, I, I think I drew a few little short things in high school. I'm a very self-conscious person. I spent at the beginning of this conversation, 10 minutes telling you about my facial paralysis, which you may or may not even see through the webcam. You know, when, when we're younger, we don't really have that self-consciousness in the same way, you know? And I wonder at what point that really, at what point we feel like we should be ashamed of these things. Mm, at yeah. what point in the process, you know, you've got that sense of like, hey, maybe, maybe I shouldn't be putting everything I make out into the world. Right. Yeah, I do feel like my first, <laughs> my first, review at the comics journal was very much like yeah these are very uh mundane that's a nice way of putting it you know like they said something like you know i've never read comics that are more like day-to-day life like for better or worse and uh and i think um yeah you know thank god for my oversized ego i I assume you're being like somewhat self-effacing but do you feel like you are kind of driven by that sense of pride in what you do? I don't know about pride. I think I have, I think that I desire to write things and I really like sharing them. I mean, yeah, like in high school, I wasn't making comics, but I was writing, I had a live journal and I was really active. Before that, I, I, I learned how to code when I was like 11 and I built myself a blog for whatever reason. I, I, I would imagine my parents just really encouraged me to like show them my drawings as a kid or something, you know? Yeah. My parents have always been very encouraging. And, and so what can I say? I, I don't feel, I've never felt too self-conscious about, about sharing what I'm doing. What does reading a review like that do, you know, of, of, of seeing, 
you know, of like what, what, what may or may not be a criticism of what you've done? Is, is that something that you internalize? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, that was a while ago and I definitely still remember it. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, true. You did, you, you did volunteer it. <laughs> but I think at the time it was like, you know, I read it and on the one hand I was like, okay, well this could definitely be better, but holy crap, I'm being reviewed in the comics journal, sure. you know, like that was, that was, I think a bigger, uh, a bigger reaction for me. And I think that, I don't know, trying to see the silver lining has, has served me well over the years of, of trying to make comics. Cause I've certainly faced a rejection and, you know, just kind of gone, okay, well, you know, this isn't, this isn't my time or, Whatever. Do you get the sense that doing the science fiction stuff early on was an attempt to go in the exact opposite direction of memoir? I think I felt, I don't, I mean, I, I wasn't actively trying to, to go opposite of memoir, but it just, I really, it's, it's, it's bizarre. I can't really relate to what I was doing then in a way that I, I just feel like I don't remember like why that was so appealing to me. It was strange because it was, it just wasn't, it wasn't like, as far as I can remember, it wasn't like any of the comics I was really reading at that time. Yeah. I, I wish I could put myself in that headspace, but it's just so, it's just so strangely foreign. Where does the contradictions fit on the spectrum? I mean, I think you called it auto fiction earlier. Yeah, that's what I've been. I think that's the most appropriate term for it. Um, I would say that it's like inspired by, you know, things in my life. And initially when I was writing about that sort of era, I think I really intended to make something that was much more just true to what, what had happened. Cause I, you know, I did study abroad in Paris and, and I did hitchhike around, but it's much more of a condensation, I think of an emotional kind of arc that I went through over a period of, probably three or four years after that, um, that my time studying there happened. Um, I think a, a lot of it is about sort of feeling ashamed of not being, you know, a, a pure ideological being. And I definitely didn't uh, get a, you know, I, I was working through that for, for many years. Yeah. So it's, it's definitely a condensation of like a number of different things in my life the pure ideological being from the standpoint of like interacting with this self-proclaimed anarchist and not necessarily being on the same road as them uh well i think in a in a much more general way but yeah like in in i had a i had a lot of i guess you would say like judgy lefty friends or judgy anarchy friends anarchist friends self-identified anarchist friends and i was I do take leftist ideas really seriously. I mean, I still do, but I think that there was an impulse at that time. And I don't know how present it is today, but, you know, it was like for years, I sort of would walk around, you know, thinking, well, what would, what would so-and-so do? What would this person do in this situation? You know, and is this... In terms of people in your life or in terms of like yeah, in historical terms of people, figures? people in my life. Not, no, not historical figures. I mean, I think, I think it was, I was, 
I think there's a thing that I experienced and uh, I've talked to people. One of the reasons I wanted to make the book was because I, I sort of talked to, to, to friends of mine in the sort of Montreal left scene, um, you know, and it was kind of like, you know, I would talk about like sort of crappy mentors that I, that I had, you know, and they could all relate to sort of have, you know, learning about leftist politics through, you know, just like other humans, right? And like, so- Problematic people? Not even specifically problematic, but it's just like, you're learning about something and you're learning about something that often mm, sort of like ideological tenets or, you know, things that maybe you think should be done in a certain way. But if you're learning about them through sort of the filter of another person, and my experience was through the filter of various people, you know, I would, I would kind of go, oh, like, okay, I read this, you know, someone tells me about this idea. And then maybe I sort of read, you know, some of the theory around it. But then I really associate it with that person who introduced me to it, you know. And that means that meant for me, I'm just, I'm, I'm an extremely black and white thinker in a lot of ways. And I'm, and I'm really literal. And so when I would see someone, you know, say something, and I, I just felt, I really, I really tried to rigidly adhere to certain, to certain things and to, to really make sure that all of my choices were like morally correct uh, in a way that was just not sustainable. That's kind of the struggle, right? Is figuring out what things to compartmentalize. Like there's a certain amount of compromise that you have to make in order to just be like a functioning person in the modern world. (laughs) Yeah. And I think at a certain point, you're just shooting yourself in the foot to actually do something useful or to advance the causes that you are, you know, supposedly um, trying to work towards if you're just have this really uh, sort of self-obsessed idea of just, well, I can't participate in this because there's this thing wrong with it. One of the conflicts, at least that, that I picked up on early, early on in the book, and this does relate to, again, explaining to your mom about these two books that she probably read, or at least has, <laughs> has context for, is what rebellion looks like when your parents were radicals or right. lived, through, lived through their own radical phase. Yeah. I, you know, if you look at, was like Pete Buttigieg and Kamala Harris, both of their parents are like Marxist scholars, right? Something yeah. like that. Um, but then, you know, there are other folks who who are not, you know, they 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 had leftist parents and and now they're Republicans. So it's uh, it's, it's a fine line. Let's be honest. <laughs> yeah. Yes. In in twenty twenty, well, in general, but yeah, particularly now. I think I don't know. I mean, I'm so close with my parents now, and. And I, and I was then, I mean, I think, you know, like I did have, you know, the situation where I was like, I'm going to go hitchhiking. And they were like, no, you're not, you know, like, what are you like? It's, that's too dangerous. And I was like, you guys, you guys did this. You told me so many stories about going hitchhiking. Like what's how, like, how dare you? they came around to it in the end they came around to it i mean or did you you know i I sort of got the i I don't know how closely this huge reality but i got the impression that like that it was ultimately an act of rebellion to do it yeah no it was it was i mean i didn't do it with with their blessing per se but they weren't like threatening me with with something if i didn't do it you know they were like we don't want you to do this and i was like i'm gonna do it they came around to it after the fact though yeah. Was part of the impetus for doing it to to gather some stories, you know, at somebody who was an artist and a writer? Uh yeah, absolutely. 
but I, yeah, I mean, I think that I, I didn't think that I would gather the stories that I did, <laughs> which is, I think, I don't know. It's, it's sort of, in a way it speaks, I think that reflects positively on, on doing things in order to, to gather stories, because even if you, even if you think you're going to get something, you probably aren't going to get what you set out for. What's the primary difference between the stories you thought you were going to get and the ones you actually did? I, I don't think I, uh, I think I thought it was going to be more, the contradictions at, at least has more sort of like interpersonal conflict and less drama that comes from an epic journey um, than I expected to write. <laughs> 